0: Okay, I'd love to encourage you to continue those conversations um, at the end of our formal gathering. Do stay. There's no rush to kick you out of the building this evening, but um, if you've grabbed hold of a Bible, we're on page 990. Will kicked off our series last week um, really helpfully, kind of reframing this uh, story or putting it within some kind of context. Um, the story that Jesus tells, and uh, he just read the first two verses and plucked some wonderful, helpful truths out of that. I'm going to read the whole story. So from um, verses 11 through to 31, and just to help us frame it, to give it a bit of immediate context, what, what, what's the immediate context that Jesus is teaching into, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15, which, which uh, what's going on when he leads into these three stories of the good shepherd and the good woman, or housekeeper, and the running father. So Luke chapter 15 and verses 1 and 2, and then I'll jump to verse 11 to the end. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus told two stories, then verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I don't know about you, but this story is, is in one sense, it's familiar to me. I, I can't remember the first time I heard it read or read it like decades ago, and I've been, I've been aware of it and familiar to it, returned to it over the years. And yet, as we have been digging into it again by way of preparation, I'm, I'm seeing new things. <laughs> I feel God is speaking to me in new ways, and I, I, my prayer simply is that it's the same for you, even as we just had it read there. That maybe a, a word, a phrase, something behind that phrase speaks to you tonight and in the next few weeks. That's why we're going to stay in the story. Will so I think we're spending eight weeks in, in this story uh, and I promise you, you won't get bored of it <laughs> if, if you're looking with the help of the Spirit to engage with it. I, and not least because we've, we've maybe had our eyes, you know, we've been wrong-footed by the Bible editors, um, so the, the text that you have here, Will made this point last week, is, is all in Greek and it's all just one great um, script. And so um, to make it a bit easier to find our ways around what the editors do, the English editors who create this actual version of the original script, they, they chunk it up into chapters and verses and every now and then they put in headings. So the heading of the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost son in bold italics is not part of the Bible, that's not scripture. Thank goodness, because they're not very helpful in this instance. Uh, they, they, they skew our thinking into thinking that this third story Jesus tells is about a lost son. But we just see from the text. Look, verse 11. Jesus continued.' got another story. Here it goes. "There was a man." This is a story about a man. Do we know anything about this man? Well, he had two sons. Ah, so he's a father. So this is a story about a father who had two sons. So already you can see why personally I'm a bit unhappy with the heading. We're going to look at the two sons and we're going to look at the father together this evening. Let's look at the first son. Uh, and again you, you'll be familiar last week um, he says it's shocking um, it's, and again it, we kind of larded our way through the story so we lose the the shock of what the father that the son says to the father the younger son who's got the least right to an inheritance uh, is, you know just, he's just down the, the pecking order but he says to the father give me my share of the inheritance which as will uh, skillfully pointed out last week effectively means he's saying i wish you were dead because you get your inheritance when you know the, the head of the household dies so Give it to me now means I want you dead. Effectively, he's saying, I don't need you. You're, you're not, you, you know, he says to the Father, you're not essential to my life. So I like, out of the way so I can, I can have what you're, I want what you've got. I don't want you. I want what you've got. And if we, if we kind of listen to what the Spirit is teaching there through this story that Jesus tells, it's just a story, but he's wanting to make a point. And the point he's wanting to make is that is that when we, when we live as if God is not essential to our lives, we'll put some other God on the throne. And this younger son effectively is saying, I, I don't need you, I can be God. I you know, I need all the resources and I'll go and live my life. So, according to the story, that's weird, not long after that, verse 13, got together all he had, set off for a distant country, squandered his, and there he squandered his wealth in, in wild living. He, just wine, women, song. Hedonistic, individualistic, consumerist lifestyle. He'd fit in well, 21st century Western world. And this part of the story, I think, is illustrative. It illustrates to us what happens when we decide that God is not essential to us. When, as St. Augustine put it, when we, we, we disorder our love, when our love is not Centered on God, it it becomes disordered as we center our loves or our passions, our desires on something or someone else. So, in the instance of the the younger son here, he wastes his wealth, and then who knew? (laughs) Something happened in nature that impacted everyone, so they all became in need. Famine then, virus today, kind of speaks to us. And he was hungry. And here's what happens to disordered love when we we roll that out in our lives. When we when we replace God with something or someone else. When we make good things good things. In other words, when we the Bible has a word for all of that is when we sin. We fall short of the glory, the desire, the necessity of God. Two things. When God is not essential, we become emptied of ourselves, we, we, we starve, and we become enslaved to whatever it is that we've set our heart on, other than God. Let's see it in the story. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine, verse 14, and he began to eat in need, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country, and who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Think about this for a moment, and just with reference to verse 17. As he's come to his senses, the first thing he thinks about is the servants in his father's house. And they had, do you see what he brings to mind? They had food to spare. In other words, when they sat down for a meal, they ate the meal until they were satisfied or even full. And guess what? There's still food left over, and that's the hired servants. And here you've got the father's son, who's hungry. Do you see what Jesus is teaching us about what happens when we disorder our love? What what goes? It, the world goes. The world goes belly up. You, you, the, the, it literally. It, it's the, the order of the world has gone kind of turned upside down. You've got now hired servants who've got plenty of food, and, and a son who presumably would have even more plenteous food is starving, hungry. Sin starves you, it empties you, it hollows you out. You become less of who you actually are or created to be, intended to be in God's eyes. We we become, literally in this case, thin. But I don't mean physically, I I mean spiritually, morally, in every sense. Sin starves you and it enslaves you. What What did the son of the father end up doing? He ends up hiring himself out. To one of these foreign citizens. He, the son, becomes a slave. Sin starves you, sin enslaves you. Disordered love, as Augustine put it. When God no longer becomes essential, when effectively this younger son says, I don't need you, I, I, I know how to live life, I can be God. But this is a story about two sons. Or it's a story about a father, a man, who has two sons. And, and so we might be tempted to conclude, oh yeah, so it's uh, because of the title, you see, it misleads you. And by the way, how many people, I'll come on to this in subsequent talk, but how many people know of this story as the prodigal son? Are you familiar with that? Yeah, well, okay, quite a number of us, yeah prodigal son or lost son prodigal is is an, like an old english word for just extravagant or wasteful so it's the, the wasteful son but still the title the editors have got that title focusing us on the on this the younger son the bad son the one is wasteful which is extravagant prodigal wasted all so we the, the, oh, oh, oh hang on the man had he had two sons oh okay so he had the bad son the wasteful son so the other one must've been the i suppose the good son is he i don't know what do we call the older brother is he, is he the good guy yeah, I guess. Yeah, because that's what he says, isn't it? Um, just jump ahead to um, to verse twenty nine. When the father comes out to the older son, and uh, he asks him, "Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. What do we? <laughs> how true is that? Hey, let's take him in his word. Let, let's 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 suppose that's actually true. Never disobeyed you. He's the good son." He's done, the the youngest son's done everything wrong. I wish you were dead, take the money, and then I've wasted all the money. I mean, could it get worse? The son has become a slave. He wants to eat pig food. Could it get any worse for the youngest son? So by contrast, the older son, he's the good guy. I've never disobeyed your orders. In fact, he's so good, he's accusing the father of wrongdoing. You know, you've never even given me a goat. Yet when this sun comes, you give me a fattened calf. What are, you, what are you playing at? It's favoritism. How dare you, he's saying. You can feel. We're told that he's angry. You can feel it, can't you? Can't you? You with me? Yeah. Okay. Just checking in. But do you remember that little the, the, the sort of diagnostic of, of sin? That it, it starves you and it enslaves you. Let's apply that to the Good son to the older brother. Look at look at the reaction of the father and the older son when the younger son comes home. Verse. Bear with me. Ah, there we are. Verse. It's in the middle of verse twenty, but it's kind of that new paragraph. Top of page nine nine one. Uh, so the son gets up, goes to his father. But while he was still a long, while he was still a long way off, what does that tell you about the father? He's looking. He's you know. You're kind of you're expecting an Amazon delivery. You kind of are you? kind of you're working at home, but you're kind of listening for the doorbell. You're kind of, he's doing more than this. He's on the veranda. He's look. While he was a, still a long way off, he's searching. He's looking. He's craning the horizon, longing for this son to come home. And when he comes home, then he's going to get it. No, no. As soon as he sees him, what's the first thing he's filled with? Verse 20, filled with compassion. See the heart of the father in this story? He's filled with compassion. Now, what about the, the good son who's never done anything wrong? What's his reaction? Elder brother. Uh, the brothers come home, verse 27. Father's killed the fattened calf because of him and has him safe, has him, because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry. Sin sin empties you out. It starves you of goodness. It starves you of, you get hollowed out of love. You have, your compassion wears thin. And in its place that the tank of your soul rising up, resentment, bitterness, anger. I've been so good. All these years I've been good. There's a fattened calf over there, a kind of delicacy. And that should be mine. He's written himself off now. He had the inheritance, off he goes, he's wasted it. Well, that's his lookout. I've been here, never disobeying orders. Can't you you kind of feel it in the text? He's, He's as lost as the younger son. Sin starves you of the goodness of God. And, and enslaves you. Look, it's actually self-attested here by the son. He says, doesn't he, in um, verse 29, he answers his father, look, all these years I've been, you see it there, slaving. He says it himself, all these years. I've, he says to the father, effectively, you're my slave owner. I'm, I'm, I'm redefining the terms of our relationship. I, all these years, I've been... Sl- See what sin has done to this brother? Slowly, he, doesn't, he almost doesn't realize what he's saying. But just over the years, disordered love has twisted his heart, his soul. So he calls himself a slave. You've got the younger son, starved and enslaved. You've got the older son, in more subtle ways... Starved. Enslaved. Both of these sons are lost to the father. One went geographically far away. One was geographically proximate. But in their hearts, both starved. Enslaved. Both lost. If we're going to go with the lost son, we're not, I like running father, But if we were going to change the title of the story and the editor's the parable of the two lost sons. Really interesting, isn't it? The, um, that, uh, that phrase, I've never disobeyed your orders, actually got quite telling, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, look, it's only a story, but from what we know of the man, the father, does he sound like the kind of guy who, guy who can dish out orders that must be obeyed? Sensing again just that slight twist as the father, uh, as the son pushes it back. Moral guy, good guy, done the right thing, been in the right place, duty. But it's possible, the tragedy of this story I think is, is, is that it's possible to be morally good, to be religious and lost from God. Far away, maybe even further away. That's why I read verses one and two. Do you you, you notice the sort of, notice the movement that Luke kind of portrays through the description of the context? Tax collectors, I mean, they were the worst, and sinners. We're all gathering round to hear Jesus. If Jesus is, if Jesus is here and tax collectors, tax collectors and sinners are on the stage, in which direction are they moving? If they're gathering round, aren't they? They're moving towards Jesus, aren't they? If you gather round, it's because you want to, oh, I can't quite hear. I need to, I need to gather round so I can listen in, so I can hear. Who, who of the two sons, who, who, who might associate with the tax collector and sinner? Might it be the reckless one who takes all that just, so, you know, it's the obviously bad one. These in, in society, the tax collectors and sinners are the obviously bad ones. And they're gathering in and interestingly in the story, the father hugs them, kisses them, <laughs> throws a feast for them. What about the movement of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? They, they muttered. When you when you mutter, I mean, I don't, if, if if it was the morning service, the kids I get getting acted out now. How do you mutter? We all stand. Let's all mutter. <laughs> I mean, we don't today, because what we do is we pile on Twitter. So it's sort of with your fingers and stuff. But you know, in the olden days when we used to mutter, had a good mutter. What, do we, what's, what does that look? I, I don't know about you, but I'm sort of you know, if I see something and I want to mutter about it, mutter is a great word, mutter like that. I want to mutter about something. I'll probably I'll sort of see here, so, you know, I, mutter mutter. I'll kind of, I'll suffer, it's very subtle. But I'll kind of, I'll just, I'll hide behind my hand. I'll I'll kind of draw back. It's very, very subtle. I do, because you see, religious, teach the Lord, do everything right. Want to be seen right, but just a little mutter. Physically, they may not go far, but their hearts are shrinking down, tightening. And I wonder in the story, which of the two sons might apply to them see Jesus is telling this story deliberately to a context he's looking out and he can see younger sons and he can see older sons younger brothers and older brothers and he tells this story so skillfully because what he wasn't going to say to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law is it's possible to never disobey orders to get everything right to live such a good life and be lost to God When I read this story, the older I get, and the more, I kind of, the more I've got a kind of personal history of, the more there's a sort of, weight, a tr- a sort of wake of my life that I can look back on, the, the more I find it in, almost impossible not to connect with the older brother. I read the older brother, I see, and I think, that's me. That's, that's Tim Stilwell. Te- teacher of the law, pastor. Everyone, you know, on one level, oh, Tim, he's that lovely vicar, the nice vicar. Oh, he would, uh, we all, so, oh, yeah, nice, good. Mm. He'd never mutter. <laughs> you wouldn't catch Tim still muttering, he'd never mutter. Oh. On the outside, <laughs> but in here, it's just Jesus through skillful storytelling speaking to my heart. Is he speaking to yours? Someone once said that the reason why, if God is so good, the God that we sing about, if if God is so good, why wouldn't people flock to church? Why wouldn't people like the sinners? Why don't they gather around church? And someone said, it's not because they don't believe that God is like this good father. It's because they fear that the church is full of older brothers. John Altberg, in his the Life You've Always Wanted. He said that the tragedy about Jesus' life and ministry here on earth was that when he went around the people that were made by God for God to enjoy him forever, he discovered that the righteous were more damaged by their righteousness than sinners were by their sin. Jesus is telling this story about a man who had two sons. And there were those that are obviously bad. And there are those that are obviously good, but with such warped motives that they're possibly even worse. Moral people, good people, right people who never disobey orders. They rely on their goodness. That's become their, their base of security. That's become their sense of self and they seek God for something else God is kind of useful to them he's a means to an end but sons and daughters of our heavenly father they, they rely on God's goodness and his mercy, not their own They see him as an end in himself. He's not a means to an end. They want him just for his sake. Because he's beautiful. He's glorious. He's wonderful. Why would I not want him? That's why... We put on Tuesday night, this coming Tuesday, the, the central prayer and worship evening. You think, oh, no, another meeting. I suppose i better go, <laughs> be good to go. No, don't, don't come if you feel you ought to come. But I hope, seriously, don't come if you think, oh, I've got to go to the meeting. Don't, don't come. We don't want older brothers. <laughs> we want people who just would love to be in God's presence. And we hope there'll be space and time for us to enjoy God. Chief end of man is to worship God and enjoy Him forever. First item in the uh, Westminster Catechism, the kind of discipleship program for Christians. Chief end of man and woman is to worship God and enjoy him forever. We, we want a taste of that on Tuesday night. Come. As sons and daughters of the Father, freely forgiven by him, coming into land. This is the story of the running Father. This is the story of the running father. Do you notice how in talking movement, he goes out to both sons, he runs to the younger son who's, who's intently walking towards him. Folks, I want to say if, if you're here or maybe you're watching online, you say, why doesn't God, this is on Alpha, we were asking, you, what question would you ask God and what, what came up this time around uh, sort of in different ways was why doesn't God make himself more obvious? Why does you know, if God is God, why doesn't he just show himself? It was interesting. The younger son here is intent. He says he, he's come to his senses. Yet he's a real assessment. I've been I've been an idiot. I'm going to go back so you. Can tell the confession. I've sinned against heaven and against you. So he's walking with intent. I am going to find my father. I'm going to. When you when you determine I am going to find God, God runs towards you. Oh my word, arms open. He's been watching. He's been looking on the horizon. He's seen you before, way before you saw him. And when he sees you walking towards him, he runs towards you. But the older brother, he's kind of. Mm. He's kind of he's he's not going in, but he's so he's kind of not moving. I'm not going to the feast. The feast. Do you know what the irony is the one thing the older brother wanted was the fatic car. That's, I've been slaving all this time and you didn't even give a go. What I want is a fatty calf, that's what I deserve, that's what you owe me. And because he, he's doing this, he's not getting the one thing he's longed for. You see how disordered love just turns everything. Sin ruins our lives. He can't have the one thing he wanted. He's, he's there. So again, the father goes out to him. But he, doesn't run. he runs to the son who's running towards him. But because the older brother's here, the father is sensitive. He's gentle. He'll treat everyone according to where they're at, so I can see, I can feel the anger vibe, so I'll just, I'll go out. The father pleads. What? Jesus here is going, this patriarch, this senior figure in the community pleading with this younger, so what's going on? What's going on is Jesus is shocking you into seeing just how good and patient and long-suffering God is. He moves to us commensurate with where we are. If you're kind of there, you might not discern him. Well, prove yourself. Well, but if you want God, he wants you to be part of his family. He wants you to be part of the feast. If you determine to come to God, he'll run to you. He'll run to you. And here's why. Uh, Can we have the picture on the screen? Your quiz question, anyone recognize? What that is or where it is? The Temple of Apollo, known as the... Uh, uh, no, not the, oh, that's not the Parthenon. It's the Acropolis in um, Athens, just outside Athens in Greece. And the story is told of uh, a, a man who was an architect and a designer. building. He loved beautiful buildings. And um, he was on holiday with his family. And they were in uh, around Athens. And he said, hey guys, come on, just a little excursion. Let's, let's head out. I just want to go and see... Uh, the Acropolis. And uh, so he dragged his. You, do you remember these family holidays, you know, when mum and dad have a good idea? Come on, let, it'll be good for us. Let's go and do this. We're going to do this today. And he, oh, I, I was happy on the beach. Where, where are we going now? And sort of some, you know, you go to some art gallery or I don't know, some museum or somewhere deadly dull. And you say, why? It's like kind of Kevin the teenager. Why are we going to And the son says to his dad, Dad, why have we come all this way, just to, just to look at a pile of old stones? It's, it's just a ruin. Why have we come to this ruin? And the father looks at the son and says, "Son, I, I know it's ruined, but it's beautiful. I recognize it's a ruin, but it's glorious. And when the younger son comes home with his prepared speech, he he says, "Father, forgive me. I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son." In effect, he's saying, "I'm a ruin." And Jesus teaches us that through the story, God says to us, "Yes, you are a ruin." but you're beautiful. You are glorious. You are wonderful. Ruined, but beautiful. Ruined and beautiful. And as you come into my embrace, and you come back into my house, and you get fed, and clothed, and robed, and realigned from your, from your misaligned love, disordered love as it comes back into line as you are filled again not emptied out as you become a son not a slave (laughs) then my restoration process which is where the analogy ends I don't think there are any plans to restore the acropolis right now but God has plans for each and every he will not leave us ruined he does not leave us broken Ruined, but beautiful. Do you see what the, the, Jesus has the, the, the father saying of the son? Uh, um, not very good at finding my... Um, there we go, verse 30, got it. Uh, oh no, that's not the one. Sorry, verse 32, got it now. We had to celebrate, he says to the, to the younger son, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost And is found. Earlier on he talks of him as a son. Verse 24. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Do you notice? He was always a son. Even when he made himself a slave. Even when he was in a far off country. Even when he was unrecognizable from the son that he'd been in the house. He was always a son. When he was dead. He was a son who was dead. And then alive. He was a son who was lost and is found. He was always a son. I think Jesus is encouraging us through this story. It's how God sees us. Our Heavenly Father, the Running Father. He sees us as beautiful amid our ruins. And unlike the Acropolis, He's out to restore us. The Running Father. Let's stand together. just a moment, in the stillness, in the quiet, for the Spirit of God, the Spirit of this Father, who through Jesus has made a way open for us to come home. want to dare but to believe that the spirit of god through this story just the story itself he will minister to you in different ways so you'll find yourself in different parts of the story you'll identify you are identifying even now with different elements of this story it's only a story it's just a tool that god is using through the story jesus tells and by his spirit to minister to us now to teach us now to speak to us now and just in the quiet now we're going to worship in a moment way of response but just now like Deborah's word what is it where do you want the spirit to breathe to bring the restoration to fill you so that you're not emptied to call you a son or a daughter so you're not enslaved to bring you into freedom the true knowledge of who you are in Christ